We'll open our Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And uh, read a, a statement here that you may kind of take for granted, but I think it's good in this Lenten season to uh, pause and make sure we fully understand what this is all about. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. Toward the end of the verse here, Paul is talking about a different subject, but uh, he concludes this thought by saying, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He was talking about uh, some things having to do with some of the Jewish celebrations, leaven, leavening, leavened bread, unleavened bread, and so on and so forth. And he just throws in the thought here about Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Now, people who were called as believers out of Judaism would have fully understood what he was talking about here and the significance of it. But for those Gentiles that had been called to Christianity, they may have been a little confused as to what this all meant. So let's take the time here to discuss the subject of Jesus, our Passover lamb. That's the title of the, the sermon today, Jesus, our Passover lamb. We'll turn back to Exodus chapter 12 and have a, a short little history lesson here. I think most of us understand that many centuries ago, the nation of Israel, actually before it was a nation, the Israelites dwelt in Egypt. In fact, they had dwelt there for 430 years. And a large portion of that time in Egypt, they spent as slaves. So uh, they had a very difficult life, a very bitter life that they lived there. And uh, God looked down upon them in his mercy and decided that he would rescue them from their slavery in Egypt. So he called the leader Moses that would be the physical leader, but God certainly working powerfully behind the scenes uh, brought it all about. And in chapter 12 of Exodus, it tells the story of the first Passover, as it was called. Uh, we'll begin reading in uh, verse 3. We know that uh, God was preparing Egypt to leave, uh, was preparing Israel to leave Egypt. That's why the book is called Exodus. It comes from the word, you know, back there over the door. It says exit. Same origin of the word, it means to go out, to leave, to depart. And that's where you depart through when you leave this room. But Exodus talked about the leaving or the departing of the Israelites from the land of Egypt. And in conjunction with this, he told them to prepare a special sacrifice. God had been working with the Pharaoh of Egypt, a very obstinate man and leader of his people who refused to let Israel go. He wanted to hold them. He, wanted to know, he knew how important it was to have slave labor, and he took advantage of it. So when the time came for God to call on Pharaoh to release his people, he refused. And they went through 10 different plagues uh, that God leveled on the nation of Egypt, basically attacking the gods of Egypt, because when you look through the different plagues, uh, the plague of locusts, the plague of uh, turning the Nile into blood, the plague of gnats, the plague of flies, uh, the plague of darkness, uh, all down through the list of the plagues, 
They were difficult for the people of Egypt to, to go through, but the Pharaoh remained obstinate. And finally, they came to the, fi the final plague, the 10th plague, and uh, it had to do with this particular instruction from God to his people. It says in Exodus 12, verse 3, tell the whole community of Israel that on the 10th day of the month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Uh, verse 5, the animals you choose must be year old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or from the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month when all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. Pick it up in verse 12. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods, small g, of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be assigned for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. And this is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. So the final plague of the 10 was perhaps the most severe of all. The firstborn of every family was going to die, whether it be a human, whether it be an animal. So a lot of death was going to take place that night. It said that the Lord said, sent a death angel through the land. And as he traveled through the land, every household that had blood on the doorposts, that death angel would pass over that particular house and no one there would die. But if you happen to live in a house where that blood was not found, the firstborn is going to die. And it did happen. Uh, the death angel went through the land. Now, the significance of this is that God was providing a way to avoid death. Now, the writers of the New Testament looked at that and saw the very clear uh, comparison between Jesus and his death on the cross and how the blood that he shed at the time of his crucifixion, symbolically covers us as Christians so that the death penalty that we all owe because of sin, the wages of sin is death, we can avoid that death penalty for sin by having the blood of Jesus Christ cover us. And when we come to faith, when we hear the gospel and respond to it and realize that we're sinners and repent of our sin and look to Jesus Christ and his sacrifice of salvation for us. Symbolically, his blood covers us, if you will. And we, just as the Israelites of old in the land of Egypt, avoid death, certain death. Judgment from God is what we uh, avoid, if you will. Now, the Israelites celebrated this down throughout their history. 
when did the Passover, the original Passover happen? Well, we don't know for sure. The Egyptian people kept strong records to record their victories. But this, of course, this event was a tremendous defeat for the nation of Egypt. So you don't find any historical records, although there are a few. Some of the writers, some of the uh, fragments of writing have been found that talk about a time of great trouble in Egypt uh, and talk about death and talk about the Nile River turning red or turning to blood and suffering and famine in the land at that time. And the Egyptians certainly did go through that. It is a historical fact. And the Israelites celebrated this down throughout history. Uh, it was kind of iffy at times. They went through periods of time where they weren't celebrating much of anything. But uh, the Exodus took place sometime between 1300 and 1400 BC. So many centuries went by. And once the temple was built in Jerusalem, no longer did they kill lambs in their own households, but lambs were brought to the temple. And even in Jesus' time, during his life here on earth, this same custom was followed and celebrated. So that every Passover time in the spring of the year, uh, people would bring a lamb to the temple and hand it over to the priests, and the priest would kill the lamb and draw all of the blood out of the lamb. The blood and the entrails of the animal would be uh, put on the altar. Well, the blood was put on the altar, and the entrails and the skin of the animal were burned on the altar, uh, burned up. So uh, then they would give the lamb back to the uh, family member or the person, and they would take it home and have a meal with the meat from the animal itself. I was reading one uh, account, historical account, and they said that uh, on that day when these lambs were killed, the temple area that people entered during that time, kind of an open courtyard type area, was really big, and it was as big as 15 football fields put side by side. That's how big the general area was. So at a particular point in time, the gates were open and all these people, can you imagine all of these people coming into this area carrying little lambs, little young lambs that were, you know, causing a lot of noise, bleeding as they say. And uh, they actually went through this process three times that day. So imagine an area as big as 15 football fields filled with people bringing lambs in, and these priests just hour after hour after hour killing these lambs. You know, the, the smell of the, the burning uh, flesh and entrails of these animals, all this blood being thrown on the altar, and then the people taking their lambs home to, to make a feast for their family. That went on until the year 70 AD, after Jesus ascended back up to heaven when the Romans finally conquered uh, Jerusalem destroyed it and from that day on this sacrifice has not been performed because the Jews feel that unless you have the temple itself and unless you have the priesthood itself uh, it's actually wrong and sin to try to sacrifice a, a lamb for the Passover 
So today, the, the Jews, when they gather together as families for the Passover, they have a meal. It's called the Seder meal, where they recount uh, the history of their nation and their time in Egypt and the time of the Exodus and so on and so forth. But uh, lambs are not killed anymore. And the Jews feel that they won't be able to kill lambs or lambs won't be killed until the Messiah comes and reestablishes the temple. So that's kind of an overview of the Jews' uh, outlook on the Passover. But when we come to the New Testament, we see this comparison of Jesus Christ as being the Lamb of God. Turn with me to John 1, verse 29. John 1, verse 29. Remember when Jesus was baptized, as he was beginning his ministry, and he encounters John the Baptist. Notice what John the Baptist says here in John 1, verse 29. The next day, John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. So John the Baptist was inspired not just to greet Jesus, but to greet him in this particular way, calling him the Lamb of God. So I don't think that was just John the Baptist figuring that out, but I think that he was inspired by God to understand who Jesus was and what he was to perform during his time here on earth. And he calls him the Lamb of God, not just the Lamb of God, but the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. And of course, Jesus would do that when he died on the cross. So right away, we see a comparison here and an understanding of how Jesus and his life ties in with the Old Testament lamb that was sacrificed at the Passover. Let's turn to Revelation chapter 5 now. And once again, another of the New Testament writers... in this book of prophecy, in this apocryphal writing... Again, he pictures Jesus Christ in a particular way. Revelation 5. Of course, this book is highly symbolic, but nevertheless, we see the same symbolism. Revelation 5 and verse 6. In this prophecy, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain. So once again, here's a slain lamb. Harkening back to the Old Testament Passover lamb, but describing Jesus Christ here. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing in the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and elders. He had seven horns, seven eyes, which are the seven spirits God sent out unto all the earth. He, referring to Jesus, came and took the scroll from the right hand of him who sat on the throne, God the Father, and when he had taken it, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense. So they're worshiping not only God the Father, but now here the lamb. Verse 9, and they sang a new song. You, speaking to Jesus, are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, because you were slain, and with your blood you purchased men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom 
uh, kingdom and priests to serve our God, and they will reign on the earth. So he's talking about us. Those who were followers of Jesus Christ, those who have been saved by Jesus Christ. So here Jesus Christ is worthy to be worshipped because he is the son of God. But notice again, it pictures him as the lamb, the lamb that was slain. Verse 11, then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and ten thousands times ten thousand. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and elders and in a loud voice they sang, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sea and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and to the Lamb, Jesus Christ, be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. So again, we see this same terminology, the same picture of Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God. The Lamb of God. It was symbolized only and kind of foreshadowed by the Old Testament Passover lamb. But the symbolism holds true to today. And it is, it is right to refer to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God because he fulfilled that prophecy completely. Turn with me now to uh, 1 Peter 1 and verse 19. Peter himself uses the same terminology because he understood the significance of the Passover lamb of the Old Testament. He says here in 1 Peter 1 verse 18, For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were uh, redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with what? With the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish, or defect. So the lamb that had to be brought to be sacrificed back in Old Testament times had to be a healthy lamb that wasn't sick or didn't have a broken leg or some sort of deformity because that lamb was to picture in the future Jesus Christ who led a life without sin. He never once sinned. So in a sense, he was the lamb that was without blemish without defect. So not only John, but Peter himself understood. I want to turn to another passage here in Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, and we'll begin in verse 11. So why do we refer to Jesus Christ as the Lamb of God? Because he fulfilled completely what the Old Testament lamb in the book of Exodus only pictured, only foreshadowed, if you will. And just as that lamb, and by putting the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of your house, saved you from judgment by God, saved you from the death penalty, saved you from the death angel, if you will, so the blood of Jesus Christ, the true lamb of God, saves us from the penalty for sin, which we all deserve because we have all sinned. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. 
The writer of Hebrews says this, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of this creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. So again, back in the Old Testament, when you consider the priesthood, they realized that they were sinners as well. They were human. And when they came to the temple to administer the sacrifices and the work of God, they had to sacrifice for themselves and for their own particular sins. So they had to offer sacrifices you know, before they can enter into the temple and do their work. But Jesus Christ was different. He did not enter, it says in verse 12, by means of the blood of goats and calves. He entered the most holy place once for all by his own blood. He, he didn't sacrifice, he was the sacrifice. Having obtained eternal redemption, and that's the wonderful reward he presents us by what he did for us on our behalf. It says in verse 13, the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished, without sin, to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. And for this reason, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, not the old. And those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance now that he has died as a ransom to set them free from the sins committed under the first covenant. So, you know, back in the Old Testament, when the little young lambs were killed, they were innocent. They didn't do anything to deserve death. Jesus Christ, in a similar way as the perfect lamb, was also innocent. He didn't do anything to deserve death. He died on behalf of us, on behalf of the believers who had looked to him as Savior. And you know, the Old Testament lambs, unfortunately, those little animals that were put to death, not only hundreds, but thousands of them on one particular day of the year, maybe even tens of thousands. Who, many, who knows how many animals died? They were innocent and they didn't deserve to die, but they died for the benefit of the people of Israel who wanted to avoid the death penalty or the death angel. In a similar way, Jesus Christ did not deserve to die he didn't do anything where he needed to die, but he died for our benefit. So he was the innocent lamb who was slaughtered for us. So we always need to remember that. We always need to be thankful for that. We also need to look to Jesus Christ and what he was willing to give for our benefit and, and our behalf so that we can have life and not death. So the Passover lamb is a very important symbolism, and it reminds us always of Jesus Christ. A lamb without blemish, a lamb without defect, Jesus led a life without sin. An innocent lamb. You know, even the thief on the cross at the time of the crucifixion recognized that Jesus Christ didn't do anything to deserve crucifixion. The two thieves on either side of him realized that they were sinners and 
you know, justice was being served by them being put to death. But the one thief on the cross recognized Jesus as being innocent. And he didn't deserve to die. But thanks be to God that he did. Thanks be to God that he went through what he went through on our behalf. Because we are guilty of sin. We deserve a penalty. But by the grace of God and by the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, we don't have to go through it and have it. We have been declared not guilty by the blood of Jesus Christ. He is our judge and he has done that for us. And for that reason, we will worship him for all eternity and be thankful to him for his goodness. So whenever you hear the Lamb of God, recognize what it's all about. It's not just a term, but it has profound and deep meaning. Meaning going all the way back to the Old Testament times, where it was foreshadowed in the lives of the people of Israel. And it has been held and, and, and honored down throughout history, down throughout millennia, coming down to our day today. But we don't just kill a lamb. We look to the one who died on the cross, the Lamb of God, whose sacrifice once for all covered the sins of the whole human race. Let's give thanks and glory to him. Our Heavenly Father, thank you so much for sending your son Jesus Christ to this earth to perform the duty that he performed. He obeyed you. It was your will that he go through this because you knew what the big plan was going to be that you were going to create this human race, and in spite of our sins, you were going to send your son down here to die on our behalf as the Lamb of God to pay the penalty that we all owe. And if we just acknowledge that, believe it, have faith in it, and look to Jesus Christ as our Savior, then our sins are forgiven. And instead of death, we will have eternal life with you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your grace. And thank you, Lord Jesus, for your sacrifice for our sins. We will always worship you and honor you as the true Lamb of God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.